0: Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is officially October. Our scripture today comes from the first letter of Peter, chapter 3, 13 through 19. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your uh, your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if God's will, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, and the righteousness and the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in body but made alive in spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made the proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. Amen. There comes a moment in a lot of stories. It's often called like the reversal or the clearing, in which here we go, in which the main character suddenly discovers that they are not a part of the group that they thought they were. It'll usually happen one of two ways. Either they discover that the way they viewed themselves as part of the group is not how the rest of the group viewed them. Or it's like the rose-tinted glasses are torn from their face and they realize what the group was like and they are ashamed of it. It often will happen at the beginning of the story in which that becomes the catalyst. And then you see the hero change and grow. And by the time they reach the end of the story, they're compared back to that group that they first, that first pushed them out. Or it happens about halfway or near the end of the story, in which case the person realizes that they had taken the wrong route and has to recorrect. That happens in real life too, where suddenly we discover the group that we once called friends or colleagues isn't what all, at all what we expected. That's incredibly painful, especially when you've given a lot of your life to them. And I have to wonder if that's how Maddie Dolby felt on that, and, um, at the, oh, yeah, yeah, felt as she was rejected at the church she worshipped at in 1924, where as she walked up the steps, the leader of the church came down and told her she was no longer welcomed because of the color of her skin. Now, to be honest, Maddie probably wasn't terribly surprised. She grew up in Indiana, and born into the Church of the Brethren, going to a black Church of the Brethren congregation. Her family struggled with poverty, but they worked really hard, and the church wrapped their arms around them and helped them when they could. And it was thanks to their hard work that Maddie and her brother Joe, their last names are Cunningham, became the first black students at what's now Manchester University, then Manchester College. It wasn't even though that easy there as well. For despite the fact that the Church of the Brethren have long preached equality, there was racism there still. And when they first entered the cafeteria, they were turned away and said, you can eat, but you have to eat somewhere else. Thankfully, the students were more open than the administration. And they went and sat with the Cunninghams and ate with them until the college changed its policy. After Maddie graduated, becoming one of the first black students, and not to mention the first black woman student, to graduate with a bachelor's from uh, Manchester, she decided that she wanted to take that degree and serve God in some way. She didn't like her father's idea. Her father's idea was pretty simple. Get married, have kids. She wasn't ready for that. So she, she got connected with a pastor at the Circleville Church of the Brethren and soon found herself sponsored to go act as a missionary in Palestine, Arkansas. She was appalled by what she found down there. This young black student's or young black uh, boys and girls, had basically no education. They had basically no prospects. But she understood. After all, her parents had spent so much of their life making sure that Maddie and Joe were able to take steps to living a better life that she didn't see them a lot. But up where they lived, it was a little easier than down here in Arkansas. Where these parents were never given a chance to help raise their children up. Where just making sure there was food on the table and the roof over their their heads meant going deep into debt continually. Debt that they would pass on. And so Maddie set up a school for them. After all, she had not just graduated with a bachelor's, but a dual bachelor's in English and in Bible. And so she started teaching these young students how to read and write and do arithmetic. And she also taught them about Jesus, opening up one of the first Sunday schools. It wasn't easy. After all she was a black woman working in the Deep South. And it was hard to get support from the local white community. She reached out to her home communities in Indiana and in Ohio and got some money. But it seemed to her that they were far more interested in sending money and resources to China and India and Palestine Palestine than helping those in their own backyard some kind of blindness to the problems at their doorstep but she fought and she worked and she made it thrive she was there for four years when another problem made itself so big that she had to change uh, change what she was doing Another problem of being a teacher from the north coming down to the deep south is that she had no resistance against the diseases that were endemic in the south at the time, such as malaria, and soon found herself going back up north because her body just couldn't take another bout of malaria. There she met, uh, I can never remember his first name because he never goes by it, Wiley Newton Dolby who was the son of another, of a a black pastor, a black Church of the Brethren minister. The two of them fell in love, and she at last fulfilled what her father always wanted her to do, to get married and have kids. But she discovered that just because she went down this route did not mean it was the end of her serving Jesus. Uh, Newton, as he preferred to go by, was an engineer at Wilberforce uh, College in Wilberforce, Ohio. And so she took advantage of this, and she took classes on Greek because she wanted to learn how to read the Bible in its native tongue. She and Newton became very involved in their local Church of the Brethren, and soon they were both called out as deacons. And then later, she was called out as a minister, the first African American female minister. Ministry was a little different in those days, at least among the brethren. There was four different layers of it. There was the layer of the membership, which you all are a part of when you take your vows for a baptismal or you take your vows as a transfer. Part of that is vowing to serve the world, serving your brothers and sisters, serving the community. Now, some are then called out as deacons, which we continue to have deacons. In those days, the deacon's job was to maintain the congregation's earthly needs or care for them. So they took care of the the meeting houses. They made sure that there was you know, all the food for special events, love feast especially, that there was the elements, the meal, the jars, the wash basins. Honestly, a lot of what our deacons still take care of. Not to mention they cared for the community when there was a special need. Again, like our deacons continue to do. Next was the ministers who were called out from the deacons. They were ones who were recognized as having special ability as that could preach or teach the word. In those days, it was typical that a congregation have several ministers. They all sat along a single table facing the congregation in worship, And during worship, one or two or all of them would stand up and deliver some sermon, deliver a message, or deliver some scripture to the community. Maddie was right, I mean, Maddie was perfectly set up for this with all of her years of teaching young folks and all of her work in studying the Bible last was the elders and elders were kind of a combination of a church board chair or a moderator and a senior pastor they took on all the work of the deacons and the ministers but also served as kind of the administrative heads and the final say when it came to spiritual matters it made a lot of sense in those days because after all Churches tended to be very local. You could probably walk or drive very easily to your church about every day of the week if you wanted. And all of these positions were then filled by volunteers. Just as an offside, professional pastors came about over the next 40 years in this time. As churches became more and more professional or also Worked at more folks worked at factories that required them to work specific hours. And so it became harder to have ministers give of their free time when people had less free time. I say that thinking of the few farmers I know it's not like they have a ton of free time either. But apparently it worked back then. But that old system had one major fatal flaw. The fatal flaw was there was no governing body as to who became a minister or a pastor or an elder. And so it wasn't recognized outside the congregation necessarily. And so while Maddie had spent years in the church in the Wilberforce area working and teaching and building a reputation as a prayer warrior and a teacher... When her husband got a new job and moved to the Urbana area... It is pronounced Urbana, right? Ohioans? Urbana? Urbana? Urbana. When he moved out there, they didn't recognize her call anymore. There was nobody to say that this person is credentialed. And so she found herself quickly removed from having any position within the church. Now, it wasn't also as easy because they couldn't live near a church. At that time, Urbana didn't have a Church of the Brethren, so they traveled half an hour south, sometimes every single day of the week. And this is the 19-teens, mind you. It was a 30-minute... Actually, I think it's a 30-mile drive, not a 30-minute drive. Same thing today, but not back then. They would travel 30 miles south to attend the Springfield Church of the Brother, not us, the one that forces us to put Akron in front of ours. It's like there's only a select few names that any town could be named. Anyway. So yeah, they traveled 30 30 miles south almost every single day to be a part of this community. And over the seven years, she slowly grew um, her reputation among the group but she was always held out just a bit because after all they were the only black members at this church and when the church had a change in leadership in 1924 the new leadership greeted her at the door and made it very apparent that they should instead go attend a majority black church and not theirs I can't imagine how painful that would be to be greeted at the church you have been with for seven years and told you aren't allowed to enter, not because you did something, which is almost understandable, but because you are born the way you are born. She could have taken this several ways. But I see the way she approached it as most reflected in Peter's writing. Now, Peter was writing during a time of great persecution. The Christian church was really just getting off of its, you know, just getting out there. And it was being recognized, especially in the province of Asia, modern day Turkey. There... The local officials had noticed them. There's actually the earliest writings about Christians outside of Christianity come from a local governor there who was a little annoyed by these Christians and wrote to the emperor, I want to say it was Trajan, but don't quote me on that, saying, what am I to do with these folks? Should I just have them killed, imprisoned? What should I do? The emperor said, if they're not doing anything, don't worry about them. Well, that's not the approach that every governor took, and many of them did persecute these new Christians. These were primarily Greek Christians, or not Jewish Christians. And so Peter wrote to them and said, Look, I know there is persecution happening, but don't give them a reason to. Just continue to do good work. If they persecute you for good work, that happens. But you know what the highest thing you are called for is to do that work no matter what happens to you don't don't succumb to the temptation of just accepting uh, the temptation to do evil in order to avoid that persecution maddie dolby was turned away from her church and she had her choices She could have been like Sarah Major. You remember Sarah, despite the fact that she was told she was not allowed to preach anymore, she continued to do it. But you know what? Sarah was a young, independent woman who had lots of support from her local community. She had the ability to go preach and go do, despite the fact that others didn't like it. She could have done like Samuel Wire, who he wasn't necessarily as openly rejected as her, but he was still told he was not allowed to worship with his brothers and sisters. But they still supported him on the outside of the meeting house, and they helped him in his daily work, uh, bringing together another community of Church of the Brethren that rallied around him. I'm not saying that was necessarily a good thing, because I think it's problematic in its own right. She could have also turned away. She could have walked away, which she sort of did. I mean, after all, she didn't attend another Church of the Brethren for the rest of her life. She instead went to a Methodist church in her, in her home, now hometown where she stayed for the rest of her life and was again called out as a minister. But she didn't turn her back on Christ. Despite any anger, despite any temptation to just walk away from the entire mess, despite what probably was years of stress of being rejected again and again, she decided to stay true to her faith. Her children and grandchildren and those who knew her described her afterwards as not being angry, but just being sad and wiser. It's the way it was for those Christians that Peter wrote. After all, they did not rise up. They did not beat the Romans. Actually, there was a group that did beat the Romans, but that's a whole other story for another time and not related to that group. Instead, they persisted to do good. They persisted despite the fact that they didn't have the support of their community. Just as Maddie in the 1920s and 30s continued to do good despite the fact that she had been rejected by her community. She became known as the woman who could pray, rain away, and pray it back. (laughs) She was a prayer warrior. The title is is, uh, The Snow Sound of Trumpet, which actually comes from an article on her by The Messenger. You can go look it up. It's on archives.org. It's a good article. You can pretty much read any messenger back to like the 19-teens on there where that's how her grandchildren described her. She didn't need anyone to talk about all the good work she did. She didn't talk about all the good work she did anyway herself. Instead, she just did it, just like those early Christians. Now, we are in a slightly different position. I don't think that any of us have ever been told that we aren't allowed to come to this church. I mean, as far as I'm aware, maybe Bernita. I joke because I laugh. (laughs) And you've been here longer than pretty much any of us. (laughs) But we still face that kind of rejection out in the world. We still face moments where we realize that everything we had held to be true wasn't exactly true. And that maybe it was a lot a lot more painful than we expected. But we continue to have a choice. We can stick with those bad crowds. Those friends that we had thought were friends, but we actually were always their tool. Or those friends that we had thought they were good people, and we discovered later they were leading us down a bad path. We can stick with them. We can decide that it's easier to do evil than to do good. I know it's such a good and evil kind of thing, but sometimes it just is. We can decide to do wrong instead of right. We can decide to follow the world instead of following Christ. Peter reminds us it's more important to follow Christ Tend to find the easy way that avoids pain. Maddie Dolby shows us what that kind of life is. It may not be the loudest life. It may not be the showiest life. And frankly, I didn't even know her name until I started researching who she was. And I'm guessing if anyone here has ever heard of her before encountering the forerunners game or anything or even this morning, I'm seeing all knows. But her life was amazing, even if we don't know it. So, let's try our best to just keep going forward in our faith. Despite the roadblocks, despite the stumbling blocks, despite rejection. Because Jesus walks with us no matter what. And if we look forward on the path, we'll notice that we're not walking a new one. We're walking the same one that he did just 2,000 years ago. Ones that great forerunners walked not that long before us. Thank you. In communion, we celebrate the commitment that Christ has given to us. Of forgiveness, of sins, of empowerment. We celebrate how we are filled by the Spirit through them. As you go out today, may that Spirit sustain you no matter what troubles you meet. And if you find yourself betrayed, if you find yourself at the crossroads between doing what is right by Christ, In doing what is right by the world, may that empowerment give you the strength to accept what comes by following Christ despite all. May your faith overcome your fear. Amen.